Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. The DBN Network. Browns fans talking to Browns fans. All right. Thanks for uh, listening in, everyone. This is uh, Josh Finney, and this is a podcast recording as part of the DBN Network. Um, I think that... Uh, Easy Weed provided us a name for what the show is going to be, and we all promptly kind of ignored it, um, which is which is keeping with uh, tradition with with Easy. So um, again, thank you for dialing in. Um, the the lovely sound that you hear in the background of white noise is the beach uh, waves rushing past on Mr. Mike Krupka, who's joining us all the way from the sunny shores of Hawaii, and uh, John Colosimo <laughs> or Jay Cosmo is also joining us for this quick talk. Fellas, how are you doing today? I'm doing excellent, man. How are you doing? Probably not as good as Mike, though. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing. I'm doing okay. I'm hanging in there. Yeah, Mike never hesitates to to tell us uh, how excited he is to be going to the beach, especially when it's like <laughs> December or January and it's 30 below in Cleveland, and people are just like debating eating their pets for to stay alive. And Mike's just like, "Cool guys, I'll be at the beach. No biggie." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we've been trying to get this together for a couple weeks now. Um, Obviously, we're in the thick of it. We're in that part of the season in which um, we all actually feel good about being Browns fans before the crushing weight of reality begins to like kind of settle in on our shoulders. Um, camp has been really, really fun this year. I feel like, and, and this is probably something that I say every year, I feel like it has been uh, a lot more positive and upbeat um, from a national perspective. I feel like guys uh, like Jason Lockenfora, who are in camp, had uh, much more positive things to say. It's not a... Let's wait and see. We're throwing shit at the wall. Let's see how it turns out. But this has definitely been more of a, at least superficially, we understand what the plan is, and we're coming out, we're seeing guys execute, um, and they know their roles, and there's more vets in camp. So uh, for me, it feels a lot different. Um, but uh, in, in some ways, it, it is very much a Hugh Jackson camp, and I think that we're going to talk about those for a second. Guys, does this feel like a pretty typical Browns offseason, or am I just like fooling myself with, with the typical, uh, you know, everything is grand August views that'll, that'll come crashing down in a couple of weeks. Well, I mean, uh, for myself, I would say, uh, I don't, I'm not really sure. I don't remember exactly how some of it was reported by, uh, local beats and, and whatnot. But to me, like just looking at the, the roster and, uh, hearing the things it's completely different, uh, from at least the last couple of years. They, um, we have some more vets in town, uh, and they seem to be more ready, uh, as far as, uh, when you listen to the, to the reports from camp, I mean, the more balls aren't hitting the ground. The quarterbacks are better. Uh, it seems like, uh, the offense is, uh, far better than it has been in years past. Although these last couple of practices, it seems like the defense is dominated, uh, which isn't so bad. You know, if you get like a little back and forth, uh, that's not so bad. You just don't want domination on one side, I would think. Uh, but uh, it definitely feels different to me. But I don't know that I have uh, as much background as some of you guys as far as uh, what previous camps were. 
Mike, thoughts? Yeah, no, I agree. I think, I mean, Josh, that's the main reason for me, it goes back to our last podcast, and that is that, you know, we've got two competent quarterbacks in the stables for the first time maybe in 20 years. Um, and so for me going into the camp, that, you know, that just buoyed my expectations. And everything that we've been hearing, especially centered around Baker Mayfield, has just been dynamite. So I think that coupled with what John mentioned, you've got some some, some vets that we brought in, like Jarvis Landry, especially on offense. Um, you've got some young guys stepping up. It just seems there's a lot of a lot of good combinations of things are happening in uh, well in shells and in shorts and all that good stuff. So we'll we'll see what happens when the lights come on and we actually got to play a, a defense here. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, I've noticed uh, this year more than than previous camps. Um, there's been a real emphasis on skill players and uh, linemen and, and and linebackers. I, I thought that it was interesting that. They, they didn't focus as much on the uh, the middle of the trenches this year, and and it seems like maybe there's a reason for all of those kind of talks. It's been it's been a couple of years since the Browns have felt really comfortable either outside at defensive back or um, with their skill players on offense. And and in order to to put an exclamation point on that, um, it seemed like the Browns spent an awful lot of time uh, through their own internal uh, hard knocks light series, the hard knocks series, focusing on the wide receivers. And I think that it's interesting, and one of the interesting subplots that we're going to see here in the next couple of weeks is uh, the trade of Corey Coleman that just hit the newswire. Did you guys see this? No. Whoa, no. What are you talking about? Uh, Corey Coleman just got traded to the Buffalo Bills. That's oh, a lie. Wow. That's not true. For right? Josh Allen? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, is this real, though? This is real life. This is happening as we speak. This is this is in the moment. Oh, no, Josh, we are never allowed to go and do a podcast again. Last time, <laughs> why we were would, on, yeah, why would you Jane do that? Signs, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I completely forgot about that. The last time we did a podcast, LeBron James signed with the Los Angeles Lakers. We really should just uh, call quits with this. But um, and the time before that, I almost got blown up by an, a bomb. So that was cool. <laughs> yeah, of the th- of the three things, I gotta say, I wish you would almost get blown up by bombs more often because the last two were personally like a lot more offensive to me. But um, <laughs> look, let's you know to to, to put so it to, to to kind of reconstruct this um, because it's going to be the, the hot topic of debate. Um, we all heard the rumors that um, the team was dissatisfied with with uh, Corey Coleman in a way that had nothing to do with his. Um, uh, injury status or his availability that the team was frustrated that he wasn't playing up to speed the writing on the wall before the season um, from Todd Haley and uh, Hugh Jackson was that this was kind of a make or break year for Corey Coleman and I, I can see how in year three you could get to that place but um, the, the initial gut reaction for me here is that um, Hugh Jackson just doesn't do a good job with, with young players that, that he kind of lucked into a good situation in Kansas City where he had a really well-established offense um, because the way that he has shown a propensity to jerk quarterbacks in and out of the rotation and an inability to, to, to understand his tight end situation or his wide receivers has just kind of, to me, um, wrapped up a, a, a sense that he just doesn't know what to do with these kids. Uh, like personally, uh, I am upset at this news, <laughs> and I don't know. Um, I don't know what we got in return, um, but uh, I, you just completely caught me with like a little bit of a left hook there. And uh, he was just having some of his best practices. Jarvis Landry seemed to be having a good effect on him. 
And, uh, you know, I knew that during the off season they had tried to offload him and had not gotten a good enough offer, but geez, you just, you just really, you know, wobbled my knees there. And I don't <laughs> understand exactly what the, um, what we could have gotten, you know, with, um, with Josh Gordon being on shaky ground, I, I just don't get how you could possibly just trade him. And uh, like I said, like I don't know what we got back, but uh, you have shook me with this. Yeah, one. sorry to sorry to drop the bomb on you guys out of nowhere. I figured it was worth. I figured eventually he was going to come up over the course of this conversation, so we might as well uh, knock it out. Um, I've been a vocal proponent of Corey Coleman and and his ability. Um, on Twitter and on dogs by nature over the, the course of his two years here. Um, a lot of folks are upset about the lack of availability that, that has come from, you know, him taking some time off in camp to rest, uh, hamstrings and the like, and the, the two broken hands. But, uh, neither one of the, none of the soft tissue type injuries that they were worried about with him have caused him to miss any, uh, games as a Brown and the, the hand injuries aren't anything that he can do anything about. But I genuinely felt over the years that there was, um, there was something deeply frustrating about uh, Corey Coleman's attitude or play to the uh, coaching staff in Cleveland. So this doesn't come as a great surprise. I kind of had this gut feeling in the off season, but with um, the problems uh, with Josh Gordon, not reporting on time and, and his lack of um, reliability, I didn't think that they would be willing to put all their eggs into a basket of guys that involve, that include, you know, Richard Higgins and Antonio Callaway, who, um, you know, are, are kind of a mixed bag in and of themselves. Yeah, I'm gonna chime in real quick, and I mean, I'm I'm just as surprised as John with with this news. I, I thought that, you know, in terms of his performance on the field during the camp, his his trend and his arrow had been going up. Um, I was looking forward to him, you know, having a healthy season and, and playing opposite of Josh Gordon. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm really interested to know what we got in return. But I think one of my talking points that I wanted to chat about today is also something that we talked about last time, Josh, and that is um, Callaway. I think this this is obviously, in, in my estimation, this is a, a huge vote of confidence in what he's been able to do in camp. Um, I, I, I love this skill set. Obviously, his off-the-field stuff is another story, but I think this really opens the door for him, and that's I'm just trying to spin it positively for, for us right you know, in, in the moment here. Um, but... I'm a little disappointed. I was certainly looking forward to seeing what Coleman can do um, healthy for a season. Right. And I think that it's an important point that with these uh, wide receivers, it typically takes time for them to um, to get up to speed. You know, I, I feel like I have this conversation every year that um, wide receivers and tight ends are two positions along with DBs that just take a couple years uh, for people to get comfortable and for people to learn the ins and outs of the position. And that's not a position that you want to have a knee-jerk reaction about um, as far as uh, talent level goes. And um, so now this is a situation where you're, you could conceivably end up breaking camp with a starting group that includes Antonio Callaway, who didn't play football at all last year um, and comes with his own uh, reliability issues, so to speak, um, and uh, a, a Rashard Higgins type of, uh, you know, uh, possession receiver. Um, obviously, we're all hoping that, that Josh Gordon is back sooner rather than later, and, and Jarvis Landry is going to have an impact from, from the slot, but... On the outside, uh, we've introduced some uh, some measure of um, no, I don't want to say fear, but we've we've introduced some level of anxiety with the wide receiving core that I just don't think that there was a need for uh, earlier today. But um, but here we are. Um, so moving on, 
I, I, I do want to kind of wrap up what's going on with the Browns outside of this. Um, camp has been a, a really interesting uh, adventure this year in that um, we definitely, as I alluded to in the, the, the lead up to the show, that, um, that that it's being handled like more of a uh, routine this year, which is a good thing that um, while Hugh Jackson doesn't necessarily run one of the more spirited camps in the league, um, people who have been there have seen a lot, a much higher level of execution. Um, and you've seen a couple things that stand out, like like veterans taking time off and a lot more position battles um, at uh, key positions than we've had in the past. Um, are there things that you guys have seen um, that unfortunately have been the same as previous year and give you any kind of cause for concern? I'll, I'll jump in. Um, I'd say that, you know, although I think the outcome is going to be okay, I find it funny that yet again, Hugh Jackson and his coaches are fumbling over their words in terms of, you know, plan Z versus plan A versus all these different things. And I know that, you know, there was talk about it earlier in camp about Batonio swinging out the left tackle. and You know, you're losing Joe Thomas, not going to be able to replace him. And, you know, all these other things that are happening. I just find it a little bit humorous, no pun intended there, that, you know, <laughs> they can't get their story straight and, and one day in the media the, the offensive line coach is saying that you know Batonio to left tackle is plan Z and now you know a couple of days plans. other than that I think uh, it, it just feels a lot different that's probably on account yes is either a couple things it's either got to be hard knocks is in town and we've got to put on a great show for hard knocks or it's this team is actually changing if you will and, and expecting to win and all those different uh, you know uh, just things that people say, right? It's actually becoming an expectation. And I, I, I would like to add a little bit on that. Uh, it is funny, uh, especially um, exactly as Mike pointed out, that Hugh uh, seemingly was surprised by uh, what his position coach said. There's still a little bit of a disconnect. And uh, it was just classic Hugh, in my opinion, uh, when, you know, he's in there, like, interjecting, saying, uh, you know, you asked my assistants too much. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, you know, like, uh, and, uh, you know, these decisions ride with me and, and what those guys, I mean, so we're reminded, I think, quickly, way, way early here, like, we're a week ahead of uh, the first game, or a little bit less than a week, but still, like, we're reminded very early in this year that, this thing is still headed up by the same hue that we've come <laughs> to know and uh, love or hate. <laughs> so it's still Hugh's team. Yeah. Yeah. It's very true. Um, and I guess uh, that with that will come like all of the, the randomness that we should come to expect as a Browns fan. Um, one thing that I thought was weird this year is um, there's just been a really, really, it's been a really quiet camp for a lot of guys that I'm really interested in hearing about. Um, one of the guy, one of the biggest off, one of the biggest offseason moves that the Browns made this year was when they brought in Chris Hubbard from from Pittsburgh, and they brought in all of these DBs. Um, they brought in Demarius Randall in a trade for Deshaun Kaiser, and and they really revamped some positions that we knew were were, were going to need some work. A lot of there was a lot of complaints about the right tackle play last year for good reason. Um, Coleman definitely led the league. He was like number three in the in the league for from offensive linemen in holding calls, and uh, in run blocking he was uh, above average. But in pass blocking he had some some real problems keeping his hands on people. Um, and then uh, the back end of the 
roster at defense back um, when you're looking at them starting the season off with uh, uh, Julius Peppers out there um, at, at playing free safety. They just kind of didn't have a plan at these positions. And it felt like the first thing Dorsey did was to bring in guys to shore up those areas. They brought in Chris Smith as an interior DT um, who could flex outside to rush the passer. And these are guys that I just like haven't heard boo about in camp. And that's been really weird to me. It seems like all the emphasis has been just on skill players and just on cornerbacks. Uh, have, have there been guys that you guys have gone into camp expecting to hear more about um, that you haven't? Uh, if I could jump in here quickly first, um, I think that uh, you're right. We haven't heard much, especially about Chris Hubbard. But at the same time, that's probably a good thing, right? Um, you know, that we haven't heard a word about the right side of the line. Um, I haven't heard any uh, things about how um, we've gotten – I mean, I guess you could take it both ways where maybe we're not getting pressure from that side or whatever, but I take it as a good sign that I haven't heard much of Chris Hubbard and they're happy about what they're getting there. Um, and uh, to move on to Jabril Peppers, they've got him listed as the number one starter in the initial depth chart that they released today. And I'll tell you what, um, they – since he's come back, since he he missed probably the first half of camp, since he's been back, I don't know that there's a practice that I don't hear of a play where he knifes through the line and tackles somebody. So I'm actually pretty excited about that because I've said before uh, elsewhere that you know I'm hoping to get uh, what we've seen out of uh, Kindred in the run game, but with a little bit of ability to cover and. Uh, it's encouraging to me that as soon as he came back to camp, I'm hearing plays from Peppers. And I didn't hear a word, actually, from Kindred. Um, so uh, for those two positions, at least, I'm pretty encouraged. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I was thinking the same thing this week. And for anyone that follows me on Twitter, I, I was tweeting it out that, you know, we haven't heard anything about Hubbard. At least I had it. Right? Yes, yeah, not at all. Mentions. And nothing, nothing. And I was like, hey, has anyone heard anything? And a couple of my mentions were like, well, maybe, you know, not hearing anything is a good thing. And then Jake Burns um, chimed in and, and pretty much confirmed that Hubbard is, is was solid when he when he was at camp. And then um, Lane Atkins from the OBR chimed in with, uh, I think he said, solid, consistent, and upgrade. So if I'm recalling that correctly, those, those are all encouraging things to hear about Hubbard because, yeah, we spent some good coin to bring him in, and, and he was expected to be that upgrade, that kind yeah. of up-and-coming um, tackle in the league, a kind of young guy that, you know, again, we, we spent some resources on. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would when wondering about that, so that's all I've heard, but nothing like from the team from that regard. Um, and it's also kind of interesting – if you're talking about position battles and, you know, you mentioned Chris Smith coming in and we haven't really heard much about him, but it's kind of this, this curious case of Larry Ogunjobi right now too. Like, I don't know why he's been I know. stuck with, with the second team. And I mean, God bless Jamie meter and all the good things that he brings to the roster, but the pierogi I don't want to yeah, <laughs> yes. go into the season, you know, with him atop the depth chart. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I like having Jamie Meter on the roster. I like Jamie Meter. Uh, you know, RIP one win from 2016. Good job, bro, blocking that field goal. Like, I'm glad that he is in the de defensive line rotation, but the, the use of Okanjobi, 
I just, amongst other things among in the defense, the the angel safety and um, the the weird blitz packages employed by Greg Williams, like Larry Ogunjobi might be my number one head scratcher as to why that dude just cannot crack uh, the starting three tech or even the starting one tech spot. Like he's a, he's a guy that is a absolute monster in the run game. So if you want to play him as more of a traditional nose in the in the four three, you can get away with it. Um, but also just has all of this latent ability to create pressure up inside and was so good at doing it in limited snaps last year that it's just it's very weird to me. And every time I hear the team talking about it, it's in the effort of saying um, earn it. Yeah, earn it. And he's a guy that came from a small school. He only played football for a couple of years. They talked about it on CBD a little bit. We just need to see more reps from him to get him comfortable and get him in good, good habits that everybody loves him, but they just don't feel comfortable with him as a. Uh, you know, a prime, like the number one option th- at this point. And, and we all know that he's going to get there eventually, but it just seems odd that it's taking this long. No, and let me like just say one thing real quick, because uh, this actually makes me angry uh, a little bit to, uh, to see him in the second team. And I was wondering what was going on last year when he was getting limited snaps. And there was rumors of him being a little banged up and that being the case and okay, sure. But now that's not the case. And uh, to be honest, like I'm just flat out getting a little bit annoyed at what's going on here. And if it's, you know, a motivational tactic or whatever the case may be, there's no damn reason (laughs) that Larry Ogunjobi should not be a first team starter on this team. And I don't understand what Greg is doing. And, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, uh, I think on multiple levels and maybe Haley, I hope Haley is like doing a good job on the offense to curb this and, and whatnot, but uh, we're getting fissured on certain things. (laughs) And uh, Larry Ogunjobi not starting is a ridiculous thing. Like if you, if you followed him, if you know him, like if uh, you know, if you've heard the interviews, this guy's a solid dude. I mean, he, he busts his ass and uh, he was one of PFFs like top rookies in Mm -hmm. terms of when he got in there, his pressure rates and run stops and all those things. Like he was, I think number one, actually, uh, in a lot of those categories. So, like, to see him, to see this depth chart, and I know, you know, we don't even have a game yet in the preseason and blah, 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 you know, but to see a depth chart come out and have Coley be out and he's still second team, uh, you know what? Like, if that's a game that Greg is playing, it's ridiculous, and I'm freaking tired of it. I mean, put Larry Ogunjobi in the damn game. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know what else to say at this point. Um, I want to talk about two things that I think are good things because, honestly, like this Corey Coleman stuff makes me want to redhead first in the wall, so I want to talk about something that's positive. Um, I think that um, the the piece that you wrote for Dogs by Nature today, John, talking about the patience that they've exhibited with Baker Mayfield has been uh, excellent. And I'm really looking forward to listening to this podcast in two weeks and, and hearing how stupid I sound talking about the Browns being patient <laughs> when they do something incredibly stupid with the quarterback room. But all through the offseason, the way that they've approached um, naming Tyrod the, 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 Tyra Taylor the starter early and then kind of dedicating the first team reps to him. Um, to try to at least get out in front of the um, controversy that we know is coming at some point in the season, you know, week six at the latest, um, I think is really, really smart. And I think that there's a lot of value to um, 
letting uh, Baker take things at his own speed and letting him get used to being a pro before being thrust in charge of, of this franchise. And I thought that the reasons that you expressed for it were really great. And I hope that uh, I hope that you can talk about this and then Mike can chime in and, and reinforce it. Sure. No, um, you know, I mean, uh, Josh, you know me. Uh, I was one of the biggest proponents of Baker Mayfield as a college uh, prospect. He was the guy that I wanted. He was a guy I thought that the Browns would never take at number one. And I was happier than anybody that they did. And uh, I'm happy to see the reports coming out of camp, which are reporting the same things that you heard out of Baker at every level that he's gone up the chain. It's the same stuff, same stuff. You know, uh, Baker is the same guy. He's, uh, he's accurate. He's a good arm. Uh, he's picking up the playbook fast. Those types of things are just translating the same way that they have from Oklahoma to uh, the Browns. Now, uh, one of the best pieces that I read when I was looking at some of these um, prospects was from Mark Schofield. And he broke down how Baker would uh, invite chaos by um, – holding on to the ball a little long. And so you have the, you have two different situations, right? So if you have a quarterback that holds on to the ball, it might be because he doesn't understand what's going on around him. That's one case. For Baker's case, what seemed to happen, and you would see on tape, is he would hold on to the ball not because he didn't understand what was going around him, but because he's an aggressive go down the field type player and he was looking for a bigger play than a shutdown. So uh, this at, at times would lead to sacks or bad plays or, you know, um, not really interceptions cause he only had about four of those, but either way, uh, that's what you would see with, especially with a, the Oklahoma offensive line, which was excellent. So uh, PFF had a stat, that was time to throw. And this was the only stat that Baker was basically dead last among the top quarterback prospects that you could look at. Almost any other stat that you could find or come up with or whatever, uh, Baker was either first or second in. But time to throw, he was dead last. And you would see this, and Mark Schofield broke it down perfectly. I had it in my piece today. Um, so you should refer to that. But I started to hear amongst the practices, uh, you know, you would hear um, at, during these uh, last camp practices that Baker day in, day out was accurate, uh, was completing passes, had not had an interception and those types of things. And um, a lot of those were things that you probably could have pulled right out of his uh, out of his scouting report. But also, I started to hear just these little things about him holding onto the ball a little bit long, and that was right also out of his uh, out of his scouting report. And like I said, Mark Schofield broke those down very well. And so, it wasn't that he was holding onto the ball because he didn't understand what was going around him. It was that he was holding onto the ball and looking for that bigger play. And I heard very, very similar things. If you listen closely enough to these last, I'd say four or five practices. So uh, what worries me if 
uh, as you like, people are starting to talk about Baker Mayfield being better than Tyrod Taylor. And they're starting to question whether it's smart to sit him. And they're saying that, you know, why sit him if he's already better? But uh, when you look at the first six games and you look at the Browns offensive line scenario where we've apparently already entered plan Z, where we've moved Joel Batonio out to left tackle. We've got a rookie at left guard. Um, we have Zeitler, who is now going to miss three weeks or more at guard, and we're going to put uh, – um, excuse me uh, – Drango. Drango, thank you. Drango. Drang- we're going we're gonna to put Drango in there. And then we have Chris Hubbard, who may know um, the offense, but he's still new. So as a group, I mean, this thing is four out of five new. And we're going to face people, Pittsburgh. We're going to face, uh, uh, you know, we're going to face Baltimore. We're going to face Ingram and Bosa with uh, the Chargers. You know, like we're going to face very tough people. And baker as well as he's adapting to the pro game if we have an offensive line that's still figuring things out while facing some of the best in the league at at uh at rushing the passer uh you know i just don't think that's a great combination you know and i think that there's a a reason that you might want to um sit him out and just let him learn let him learn and you know with there are certain uh, quarterbacks that i would say that you might not trust to sit and learn with a clipboard and i don't think that's baker i think you actually can trust if this makes any sense to you guys you can actually trust baker to learn to sit and learn and pay attention and be a part of the team and and really benefit from being on that sideline versus somebody that's um that maybe is more a little bit about themselves or just isn't, uh, isn't into that or thinks that uh, they're being sat for other reasons or other things. I, th- I think there's a good case to just sit. And, and that's why you pay the 65th pick in the draft, all right, for a solid NFL veteran who is busting his butt you know, uh, to play for your team. And he's, yeah, he's making $16 million to do it too. And there's no reason that you need just because Baker is coming out and being the guy that you drafted him to be, that doesn't mean you just need to like stick him out there. So I don't know. That was, that was my thoughts uh, on the piece that I had. Big Mike. Yeah, John, I I couldn't agree with you more. I've been a huge proponent of that approach with Baker Mayfield, um, I, and and truth be told, I haven't I haven't had a chance to read your article yet today, um, but I did see a lot of Mark Schofield's breakdowns, and and I did a pretty comprehensive breakdown of Baker too, and uh, I, I agree. I think he held on to the ball mostly because he was trying to to read and manipulate the defense. Which got him into you know to some trouble in some cases, um, and obviously we're hearing reports of that, like you mentioned. But I mean, the the game is just so much different than it is in training camp. When you actually get into a team that's that's a game for you and has their scheme for you and is doing things specifically to negate your strengths and to exploit your weaknesses. And, you know, when you talk about a rookie quarterback and as you just, you know, explained very, very well, uh, an offensive line that is very new together, um, 
regardless of how well he's playing right now in training camp against your own team and even in the preseason against vanilla defenses, that is not the same as week one, week two, or any of the weeks in the regular season. So I think it's it's imperative unless the Browns want to potentially repeat their mistakes of their past. You, like you speak, you pointed out, you just you just paid you know round three pick one for Tyrod Taylor, who took the the playoff list Bills to the playoffs for the first time in however long. You know he's accustomed to to fighting through you know whatever he has to to do to win. You stick him out there. You you, you entrust your franchise with a veteran who you know can get you wins. And that, I think, is the, the difference right now. I think the Browns' focus this year is on wins. And so with that in mind, you start Tyrod Taylor and you let you let Mayfield sit, even if it's just for four weeks, and you let him look at what a defense looks like on tape versus what he saw from the sideline, and you let him just kind of, you know, reconcile the differences there and understand the nuances and really understand the speed from a conceptual standpoint first. And then you throw them out there and you let them actually, you know, act on it and execute on it, you know, when the time is right. And I think the time will come, but I don't, week one is, is, I don't want to hear about week one, Baker Mayfield starting, you know, get, give him a couple weeks to sit and learn and then put him out there and see what's up. Totally agree. Yeah, I don't want to hear about him starting either. And the reason I don't want to hear about it is because I'm just having an off season of not wanting to read Browns fans talking about the Browns. And I feel like this has been this is going to be the worst part of it coming up in that, like, we've seen this play out before. Um, and I recognize that this is a wholly unique situation that the Browns haven't been a part of in 20 years. But um, I, I hope that Tyrod gets his uh, his his turn to establish some credibility with this team to to play some close games even if they don't win to establish a level of capability for this team of what that bar should look like in order for you to break into the lineup and that bar shouldn't be hey i was drafted uh number one um i deserve to be playing on day one as a result of that uh baker mayfield is very very talented um i i want him to uh be able to come in and play when he's not thinking about it, when he's just reading and reacting. Uh, and I don't, I think that day comes probably sooner rather than later, but um, I hope that the fans in Cleveland can be patient until that day gets here. Um, because in the meantime, I just want to see the wins. I just want to see a capable team look like an NFL squad. And I want to feel like my Sundays aren't different from everybody else in the NFL's Sundays. Like I want to watch a, a product that isn't, you know, laughable uh, and doing ridiculous things. So, um, in closing, I want to talk about the one thing that you guys feel um, is bringing you hope that, that that is your best part of what you've seen from the 2018 iteration of the Browns. Um, for me so far, it is um, the talent that they brought in and how well that meshes with Todd Haley. I want to say that so far through camp, I'm, I'm excited about the use of two tight end sets. I'm excited about how frequently they've used Njoku as a target and before he got injured, how often DeValve was running. Um with the uh, first team offense. Um, it seems like that's going to be a bigger part of it. And that was super inexplicable to me last year. Um, and also I love <laughs> that, um, 
it seems like Haley's offense, which is going to feature a lot of play action, a, a heavy dose of the run game, and um, a lot of quick hitting type offensive plays that will keep Tyrod Taylor and Baker Mayfield from having to cycle through three or four progressions every time um, is going to be really, really nice um, after an, uh, an offense last year that was predicated on deep downfield, slow developing routes. Um, I think that this system will be better for the talent that's in place, and that makes me happy. What about you guys? Um, I, for myself, uh, I would say I'm very excited to hear about the double tight end sets. It seems like that's something that they're incorporating pretty heavily, and it seems like uh, Fells is being incorporated quite often as a, uh, as a starter or as a second tight end. Uh, and they also have been talking about doing uh, Injoku and DeValve, which is something that I think a lot of us were wondering why wasn't that happening last year. Uh, the So I'm, I'm excited to see uh, Todd Haley incorporate that. I also read a little something the other day about how um, he was lamenting not having that downfield tight end while he was in Pittsburgh. And there also was talk about how Pittsburgh was very interested in the Joku specifically uh, when the Browns moved up to get him. So those types of things make me very excited to see him um, utilize those uh, weapons that we have, because especially if, I don't know if we're going to have Josh Gordon. And again, I'm still a little bit reeling from the Coleman trade that you informed me of 30 minutes ago. Yeah, it gets, <laughs> it gets, it gets worse, and I'll wait for the podcast to be over before you guys uh, wrap your heads around that one all the way. The compensation's oh, in. All right. Um, but, you know, uh, regardless, uh, if, you know, if Pittsburgh was very interested in the Joku as – advertised and that's what I've been looking to see because I was infinitely frustrated last year watching him take maybe 35% of the snaps and almost never if not absolutely never with DeValve on the field at the same time which I never understood so um I said it on a different podcast but uh, Haley is uh, probably the least depressing thing happening on the coaching side and uh <laughs> probably the most excited that i'll be just having taken that offense out of Hughes' hands uh play calling wise because yeah. what i saw last year was not a lot of fun yeah i'm with you on that yeah I, you guys did a great job to kind of summarize i do have a lot of excitement about the uh the excuse me, the tight end sets. Uh, I'm really excited about the, the backfield, to be honest. Um, I'm excited about Chubb. I'm excited about Duke Johnson. I think he's going to be uh, a huge asset for this offense if Todd Haley is true to his past and, and utilizing the running back as, as a pass catcher. I think that's going to give our offense a huge jolt, and it's really going to give defenses a hard time to, to pick out who they are going to you know focus on and what they're going to do to stop all the different weapons that we do have, at least here on paper. Um, I guess the, the one thing I want to point out, <clears throat> and, and Josh will laugh about this, but Yep. I'm firmly I'm firmly entrenched right now in the camp that this this is this situation with Josh Gordon is unlike any situation that we've seen before. Yeah. The, the NFL and the team have both confirmed that he's not suspended and that he didn't fail a test. 
and the team has now doubled and tripled down on the fact that he will be playing for us this year. He will be back soon. And that is, again, unlike anything we've ever seen with Josh Gordon in the past. And you, so, and you guys have seen the thing. Uh, I, I don't know the truthfulness to this, but you guys have seen the uh, report that if he does not report by Tuesday, that he basically defaults to a whole other year before he's a restrictive free agent, right? I, I did right. See, I did see that report, but I also saw Mary Kay Cabot said that the official word from the team on that was that um, they are not – using that as a guide for when they expect Gordon to be back. And they wouldn't expect that the ramifications of that would, would, would play out here, which I think is very, very interesting. And we'll probably right. understand the, the rationale behind it later. Um, but that's a collective bargaining agreement stipulation and they can't just ignore, right. they can't just ignore that. That's a thing for contract purposes. So, so whatever right. handshake kind of agreements are going on behind the scenes with a situation, like Mike said, this is, wholly unique and and never seen before and probably never seen again just super bizarre right and i don't want to speculate too much but there are a lot of you know like kind of tiny print type stuff that are different contingencies or different things that could have transpired where you know if if the player really i I don't know i guess my point is it's going to be interesting to see what what transpires but it's totally different I, I, I don't have as much fear about it as, as many do. I, I think that it's a, a really a, a silly idea if, if he's trying to, to use this as a you know, way to leverage a contract extension or a contract enhancement or anything like that. It's going to actually probably do the opposite for him. Right. Um, and I just think that it's a really silly move if that's the case, if that's the case from a player who has been seeming to put it all together. Um, and really that would default to his agent being a complete knucklehead. But anyways, I, I I'm, I'm excited about Josh Gordon in addition to all those other pieces on the offense. I think he is a, uh, an elite NFL talent that is going to give teams fits if he can stay on the field. And yeah, I mean, I, I I just can't stress enough how excited I am about the quarterback position. We have two quarterbacks that are, again, solid, at the very least solid quarterbacks with the future in Baker Mayfield. So that sums up my excitement, and uh, we won't talk about Hugh Jackson or the Corey, or the, uh, yeah, the Corey <laughs> Coleman trade, and uh, mm. we'll, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> great, great. I, uh, I appreciate that uh, when I talk to you guys about the Browns, it, it, it typically um, – we can focus on what uh, is exciting and what's coming up because I am truly excited about the season. I, I think that this is a much different um, set of circumstances than we're used to entering August with. Uh, I'm excited that it plays out in a different kind of way. Um, and I'm looking forward to us getting together in a week or two and seeing where we're at after the Browns uh, play the Giants this week. I think on Thursday. Yep, on yep, Thursday. Yep. Thursday. So, so, so the next time we get together, we'll have a full game worth of data to talk about, and we can uh, we can talk about how we feel about it. That'd be great. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, Mike, you enjoy your time at the beach. John, thank you for joining us, um, and we'll talk soon. Thanks for having me. Thanks All right, guys. Later. Later. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech, 
why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function. Hello, I'm Neelai Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts.